This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Dora, have you given any thought as to how you want to bring in 2020? I can't believe it's so close that the year is coming to an end and we're coming into a new year. Yes, we're hosting in partnership with the Gasparilla Inn a wellness experience on January 27th in Boca Grande, Florida. What's going to happen down there? We're going to be doing cooking demonstrations. We're going to be walking on the beach. We're going to be doing yoga every morning. We're going to be learning from world-class teachers on how to take better care of ourselves. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. So go to our website, bbrconsulting.us, to learn more and to sign up. And we look forward to seeing you on January 27th. Can't wait to see you all there. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Ronan Tynan is an Irish tenor, physician, and former Paralympic athlete who won 18 gold medals and set 14 world records. Ronan gained international acclaim as a member of the Irish tenors. You can read about his extraordinary life in his autobiography, Halfway Home, My Life Till Now. Ronan is here to speak to us about the transcendent power of music and how music can help us live more fully in the moment. But most importantly, Ronan Tynan is a dear friend. Ronan, welcome to Health Gig. Welcome, Ronan. Thanks, Doro. It's great to hear your voice. Trisha, nice to hear you too. It's hard to believe I'm 3,000 miles away and it is pouring rain, miserably cold. But you know what? We're here. We're in the moment. That's right. We're (laughs) right here right now. You've led an extraordinary life. How did all this happen? Tell us your story. Well, in the simplest way that I can explain this to you, I was very blessed to be born to two people that were very different. My mother was a woman before her time, directed, focused. I often say that there are no adjectives that could really describe her because she was an amazing person in my life. She had so many, I suppose, dreams for me that she instilled in me a tremendous positivity that nothing was impossible. The other person in my life, my father, he was extraordinary in so many different ways because he was unusual for an Irish father. He was affectionate, warm, and nothing was impossible. And whatever goal or dream or aspiration I had, go for it. Always do it. And he rejoiced in every single thing I did. So in many respects, my start was very powerful. If you were thinking about the foundation of a building or house, I had the most fantastic, solid foundation starting off. I was born with a physical disability. It was called bilateral vocamelia. Basically, it required that I would wear prosthetics most of my life. But I was fairly wild, and at the age of 20, I was riding motorbikes and had a very bad motorbike accident, which ultimately caused me to have a bilateral amputation. So from 20 on, I was what they would call a bilateral amputee below the knee. How did you cope with that? As my sister often said, Fiona, she said, God help anyone who tried to put a bridle on this fella and hold him back. I was in many ways wild and full of life prior to that and nothing was difficult or no task too difficult to overcome. When the decision came to actually having both my limbs amputated, that was a moment where it's a real wake-up call in many ways. 
the operation couldn't be done in Ireland, so I had to have it done in England, which again kind of compounded things because I didn't have my friends and my family around me. And Fiona flew over to see me after three weeks. Mom and Dad were there for after the amputation. This is when you see the strength of someone's conviction and their love for you. My father was totally accepting of the fact that this was the only outcome that would be the best for me. My mom, she found it hard to come to terms with the fact that there was the possibility that I wouldn't be as ambulatory as I was and that she felt maybe her goals and her dreams wouldn't be achieved for me. Um, whereas he was tremendous. To the point of even in the hospital, it's amazing what you remember in a room where Mum sat in a corner looking across at me where Dad was sitting on the bed with me. And the, and the two of them were tremendous. I have love for both of them, but I saw the strength of him there and then that irrespective of what was going to happen, his love for me was powerful to the point of he didn't care if I didn't walk the same way as they had seen me before. Whereas Mum had to guess to that point of understanding that this was the right approach. And she did. I never really talked to her about it because I felt it might be a little too difficult for her to revisit. But with mm. them, I said, you know, I said, uh, I said, was mom okay? And he said, she wants everything perfect. And sometimes the picture is not what it seems. But he said she had to understand that the outcome was going to be 100% fine. But it took a bit of time. Was it your disability that inspired you to become a physician? Dora, <laughs> you know, this you'll find a little bit peculiar or strange. But when I was about six or seven years of age, at the back of our house, we had a thing called a haggard. It was like where cows and calves would be held when they were born. And I used to often be in awe of what nature did. And I'd often sit out there. And there was a little rock out there at the back. And I remember one time I sat there and it was like an epiphany. I had this feeling that someday I will be a doctor. Someday I will be a sportsman. And someday I will be a singer. Wow. Don't ask me why. But that was something that was very clear in my head. I will achieve this. As time went on, I realized that medicine has such an impact on people's lives that the greatest gift a man or woman has is the gift of giving. Giving in many different ways. To be able to gift healing is huge. But what I've grown to understand is the gift of music is the exact same. To be able to sing can give people that privacy of moment when they're listening to you, that they bring back beautiful memories or sad memories, but they bring back memories that they don't have to share with anyone. And that's the beauty about this, that it's a private moment. It's a nostalgic moment. And that's, I feel, music has that strength that possibly medicine, the art of healing and being able to do a lot of different things, that you have a higher power when you're able to give somebody the privilege of allowing them to think back on somebody who's not with them. But that song, that moment, gives them permission to rekindle their fondness and their love and allow them grief and allow them cry. Right. You know, because sometimes it's a catharsis. That's what music is. It's a catharsis. Right. I've always said that to people that sometimes grown men are kind of feel sometimes it's not right for them to cry or be emotional. But you know what? 
that's something that a lot of people need to have that privilege that in that moment, it opens them up and makes them vulnerable. Vulnerability in a person is a good thing because it gives you a freedom. It allows you to suddenly open up that channel that you had blocked. And sometimes music can do that unbeknown to yourself. Ronan was a great friend of my dad's. And Ronan, do you remember Chris Buckley said about dad he had the tear ducts of a Sicilian grandmother? Oh, my God. Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, Dora, I loved your dad. I loved him so much. And I don't know if you're aware of this. About 2005, they had a program in Belfast. And it was called This Is Your Life. The guy who did it was a guy called Jerry Kelly. They did it about me. And usually when they do this, they bring people in that you have met years ago and they put on television all the different things that you've achieved, be it in music, sport or even academia. And they have family members that you wouldn't have seen for ages. And then they do video broadcast of people that you're close to, but you would not in any way have had any idea that those people would come forward for you. Your dad was one of those people. I knew nothing about it. And it was broadcast live. He said some of the most beautiful, but the most touching thing he said, he said, I look at Ronan as another son. Oh. And I never forgot him for that. The kindness and the generosity and the love that that man could give somebody, it's not tangible because it's something so great. You know, if somebody has that ability to touch somebody in that way, that's something you will never forget. That's something that is dear to me for the rest of my life. And you mean a lot to me. And the family means a lot to me. And I'm so humbled and honored to know you. And your mom, oh my God, she was a ride. I loved her. <laughs> and she was terrific. But do you know, he kept in touch with me, Dora. We have a lot of letters. In some of the most trying times that I had, he wrote some of the most fantastic things and talked to me. When I needed somebody that I knew I could trust implicitly, I could say anything to, and that his advice would be 1,000% right. Well, he loved you, and one of the most remarkable things for our family was that you were there the day that Dad died and sang him home, which was such a beautiful thing for us. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. Do you know, Doro, that night, and I know it's very sad, but that night when I came into him, it was amazing. He was as cognitively aware. And he said, oh, Ronan. And I said, sir, it's great to see you. And I said, you're looking good. And you know what he said to me? He said, you need to clean your glasses. And I cried. <laughs> I said, oh, my gosh. I said, you know, you're amazing. The people who cared for him and loved him, he meant so much to so many. And I wasn't unique. I'm sure, Doro, that there are millions of people he touched with his kindness and his understanding. And that night, he started to mouth the words with me. And oh. um, it was very special. It, it was extraordinary. It was something that I will cherish and thank the good Lord above for giving me that privilege to be by his side. Doro said it was an incredible experience for everybody to have you there. And one thing that when we were talking about and preparing for this podcast with you is we were thinking since music is your voice and you can literally take that music with you wherever you go. We know that that was a really important moment for Doro and her family when you were there. But were there other places that you can use your voice? What was most memorable or unusual places where you have your voice and you can use it and start singing? There have been moments in my life where my voice has 
not just given solace to people. After 9-11, I sung at a lot of funerals. Many of the people I never met in my life, but being there and singing, and I've always felt to give back is so much easier. And the country has been amazing to me. I, I will never be able to give back what's been given to me. But I think people have to understand something. The power that music has in touching the soul is so great and so amazing from many levels. But from a spiritual level, music gives more to people because it allows them the freedom to let the music uh, do a healing for themselves. And they don't have to share that. That that moment, that song, that piece of music or that instrument or the combining orchestra, the way it moves you, that's a very precious moment. And it allows you to be selfish because you don't have to share your thoughts with anyone. It's your thought, and it's what the emotion has given to you. It's something that it's been given to you. Whatever it does for you, be it allowing you the freedom to open up some area in your soul or in your heart that was blocked, it is a catharsis, and I've always said that. Music can be cathartic on so many different levels, and toughest man or woman in the world will always be moved by something, by music. I can bet my bottom dollar on that. Oh, we so agree with you on that. And again, in exploring how music can bring you back to the moment and where you can feel fully alive in that present moment and gives you the sensation in our experience, listening to you sing and then listening to others sing or just in music, that there is something greater than ourselves, that we're part of something and that we transcend. Can you talk about that transcending power of music? You know, the funny thing is, I'll let you in on something. Many years ago, I was asked to help some of the special Olympians be able to go to the Olympics and to aid in their financial endeavors. So I wrote this song. The group were from Rochester. And I sent them the song. And I went up there and I was as sick as a dog. For some reason, I had got the flu or whatever. But anyway, when I met them, it was an open door of unconditional love. No judgment. They didn't care how you looked, how you appeared. They poured a soul into singing the song. It was a way in which I felt music transcended everything. It transcended the disability. It transcended their challenge. Because at that moment, we all integrated for one thing, for them. They, in turn, used that moment of song that they felt completely free. That's when it can transcend all the difficulties that are very apparent in a visual sense. But when you close your eyes and you listen to people singing, it suddenly takes a totally different way of moving. And no one knew that the 30 kids that were singing at that moment were challenged because they had poured their soul into it. And when you listened, you realized we're all in this together. Mm, We've yes. all come together and we've become one nucleus. That's something that I feel is amazing. That's when you feel music transcends every barrier. The other one is when I did a performance for the Air Force in Bethesda. The colonel asked me, he said, do you pick the music and will you agree or disagree? And I remember I loved Over the Rainbow, but didn't think it was a song that was, you know, right for me, considering Judy Garland had sung it. And the only man I'd ever heard singing it was Mandy Patinkin. However, 
I submitted the song and they accepted it. And at that time, they were honouring five colonels who had fought in the Vietnam War. There was a little colonel that came up to me, said, Ronan, you're singing my song. I said, sir, it's a great honour. And he said, I want to tell you why I picked that song. He said, when I was given my enlistment and my troop to bring us together, I felt we needed something to bond us. And that was to sing together. They all learned over the rainbow. Once again, this was where music was bringing people together, unknown people who were put in a unit and suddenly by song became each other's brother. Mm. And so that's the powerful entity of what music does. Music has the power to heal divisions that separate us. Yes, absolutely. It has the power to heal divisions. Yes. The problem is sometimes we can be obstructive unbeknownst to ourselves. Mm. Sometimes we just have to stop and allow a beautiful piece of music, be it instrumental or whatever the case may be, be it Dvorak, you know, Rossini or Puccini, whoever it is, but suddenly, no matter how much anger or contempt that people can have for each other, sometimes a piece of music can bring people and unify people in the most amazing way. Every time I hear the music from Schindler's List, I nearly cry because of what that music brought to that Mm -hmm. piece. Mm. You know, and music has that power. And, you know, the good Lord above obviously made that happen. He, He said, here it is. You work and figure out how this comes together and then come and realize that in the finality of life, what do we do? We sing. We sing in praise and we sing in thanks. They're powerful emotions. If you had to choose one piece of music that you feel, is that impossible? (laughs) I was going to say that you feel offers an experience of pure transcendence or can lift people up or yourself up, right? Doro, I've always said that when I sing a song, that moment, that time, that song is the most important song to me. I've always said, I don't pick a favorite, don't have a favorite. But there is a piece, and it's from Finlandia, that's called Be Still My Soul. I don't know what it is about that piece. It's so powerful and so beautifully moving. I remember doing an album and that was the one piece that when I sang it, I was very touched by what it did and the words. I have been privileged to sing with some amazing people. You remember this. Your dad loves country western. He loves country western (laughs) music. And he loved the singers, as we all know. But there was a song that Vince Gill sung, Go Rest High. I recorded that with Ben. And remember in the recording, we were both to do the harmonies and stuff, and Vince got very emotional. A song can be so powerful and so moving that you have to sometimes remove yourself from it so you can give it everything. I wrote a song for my mother called Passing Through, and I remember recording it. I think I cried for nearly half an hour trying to do it. The thing is, that was one of the best ways for me to be able to overcome what had happened. Music has that ability to get you to a point where you are at one. You finally understood that the person you loved um, is still there for you in spirit, if that makes sense. I remember when your dad asked for the last full measure of devotion. That was so powerful in so many ways. And the problem that I felt more than anything is could I do justice to the piece that would respect your dad to the highest level that I could give? And I had to fight with myself a little to try and tailor this. 
as a performer, sometimes you can really beat yourself up when you've been asked to do something so special mm. for somebody you cared so much for that you nearly put yourself into a, a loop and then suddenly you ask that person to take over and say, me strength to do this and do it the best way I can for you. And that's when you realize the power of a piece, particularly if you have somebody in mind at that moment, that piece takes on a totally different meaning. Mm-hmm. You know? It was amazing. <laughs> Just amazing. Anyway, not to worry. Dora and I practice meditation and we practice yoga. But what we also find, though, oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I should be doing that. Yes, yes. <laughs> what we find, though, with music, you know, you could use your music as a meditation in a way because you can take that when people are driving their kids to school or they're making dinner or working out. We're suggesting that listening to music could be a mindful practice. Oh, yeah. Do you think so? I agree 100%. Let's be real about this. When we're doing exercise, you don't want an aria to exercise. You want something with a beat Mm -hmm. and something that makes your heart begin to move with the beat. I mean, if you're like me, I hate exercising, but I have to exercise. If I have music that keeps a rhythm and a time, you drive on. It transforms your relationship to working out. From one of anger and frustration to, oh, I enjoy that. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. That's the power of music. Tell us about your routine with music. Do you just sing for fun? Or like, you... were you singing when you were trying to get all the horses in today? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at this weather thinking, oh, for God's sake, come on, give us a break here. <laughs> I grazed beside me with our 23-day-old little colt, and she was whimpering to him when the other man called me on the phone. She was whimpering like mad, you know, trying to keep him with her. And nature is so fantastic. That bond is incredible. The mothers just have such a powerful bond to the foals that if the foal sense any danger, locks into the mother. The mother's very vigilant, looking over and whimpering to him, saying, don't worry, I have your back. And he's locked in right to the side. It's the most amazing thing. You know, when you're in a rush or you're trying to get them out of a bad day, your song is not one of hallelujah. It's hallelujah when you get them there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the rock you were sitting on when you... were six or seven, right? Yeah. You decided that in your life you were going to be a physician, you were going to be an athlete, and you were going to be a singer. That's one thing. But you have an amazing voice that fills stadiums. How did that happen? (laughs) When did you know you had that? (laughs) The funny thing, Dora, my father had a beautiful voice. I was a farmer's son. Irrespective of my disposition, I was not treated any different to my siblings. You know, I milked cows and I worked with my father and we were very close. My dad used to sing, as he used to say to me, sing to the girls and they'll be happy. <laughs> and he used to sing to the cows. So when we were working together, we started singing. And it was there that he'd say to me, you know, sing sweetly. And my father never learned a full song, Doro. And he'd make up words, and we'd laugh and sing together. And he fostered a love of music in me, but not an educated love, a passion to listen to others and then to sing their songs and have fun with it. I remember, you know, (laughs) my mother was not too keen on the fact that I was looking at singing as a possible career. She felt singing was an avocation and that medicine was a vocation and that 
Mam was very down to earth and felt to be a singer and to be in music. That's lovely as a pastime, but leave it as a pastime. It shouldn't take precedence over the fact that you spent many years of getting educated and becoming a doctor, and that was more important. Whereas my dad, <laughs> I remember he said, she said, don't mind her. And I said, are you going to say that to her? He said, good Lord, no. He says, I need peace. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like your dad really listened to you. And then when you were walking and singing together, you were listening to each other. And that is a quality yes. of music, right? That we actually listen so we hear. And as you said, it actually makes us feel things in that moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listening gives respect to the singer. If someone's singing, you don't want other people talking, you want to hear them. I learned that very early on when Dad would sing, I never talked. But if we sung together, we'd laugh together. There's so many things that unify, that sing, that music unifies. It unifies relationships. It crosses every boundary. It brings people together. It makes people happy. It gives sadness, but in a good way. In a good way. And it cleanses your soul. Well, speaking of soul, Ronan, you are a gentle soul with a powerful gift that helps people heal. And we're just so delighted to have spoken to you today. You know I love you. Let's stay I do, in- and I love you too, and you know that. I know that. And so let's stay in touch, and thank you so much, and good luck with the mares and the foals. Thank you, Ronan. <laughs> the next filly that's born, I'm going to call her Doro. Oh, goody. <laughs> Take a picture and send it. I promise you, I'm sure she'll be absolutely stunning. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>